Some of you have a long way to ride to get back home. But I am so glad that God is showing me what he's doing within the spirit and what he's doing in, our, in the church. Not just our church, but the church. I read this and preached on this this morning. But I need to go back and share a few other things with you. I was going to go another direction. The Lord said I need to go a different way. We shared with you in the beginning that in the pretext of this message or this scripture, Jesus had got on the boat to go from one side of Galilee to the next, which was outside of the nation of Israel, to a people that were out of covenant with God. And on the way over there, the enemy realized what he was doing, and the devil made a storm to brew in the sea and nearly destroyed not only just Jesus but to every one of his disciples that was on board. Jesus stood up in that hour and he said peace be still. He delivered himself from that storm and immediately they were at their destination. Immediately in that destination in the place called Gadara a madman came out of the tombs that was possessed with over 6,000 demons and came and fell at his feet and proclaimed him to be Christ. And Jesus cast that devil out of him and he immediately was in his right mind and he wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus told him, no, I have a job for you to do. I want you to stay here in this area. And I want you to show the people what God has done for you. It was God's intention because later on in Scripture you will find that Jesus went back to Gadara, which is the province of ten different cities, and there was a huge revival amongst the people that were not in covenant with God. This story and this insert into the Scripture is prophetic that God still wants to have a major revival with people that are out of covenant with God. In other words, if you take it and you apply it to our life and our time and our culture right now, God still desires to go out in the world and win lost souls. The Bible says for us not to say that the harvest is four months away, the Bible says for us to realize and understand that the harvest is now and that the fields are white and ready to harvest. So Jesus went out to do that to indicate to the enemy that God was going to bring a revival to people that were not in covenant with the Lord. Then he comes back into the arena and the nation that they are in covenant with, that they are in covenant with the Lord, and immediately we pick up the story of Jairus. In the story, we find a section of people that are outside of covenant with the Lord, out in the world that God desires to bring a revival in. Now he comes into the city, into the arena, where everyone is in covenant with the Lord. 
And everything that goes on from that point on shows certain groups within the church or the people that are in covenant with the Lord. First off, the word Jairus means he that is enlightened. If you'll notice with Jairus, Jairus was enlightened and had a revelation. That revelation that I spoke with you about this morning was that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, and that there was power upon him, and he was anointed, and that all of the scriptures were fulfilled in him. But there was something a little, uh, I guess, outside of the circle at this time when we really look at it about Jairus. He was an enlightened individual that had a revelation, and his big concern was for the next generation. In the church today, there is a small group of people. Notice that Jairus was very small. Only one. Only one. The woman was only one. The girl was only one. So we're talking about small groups of people because God says not to feel bad when you're starting out small. So our church needs to understand, even though we may be small in number, we're great in the kingdom of God. Let the church say amen. amen. Jairus was a small number, but he had a desire for the next generation. And because of that desire and that enlightenment that he had, he decided that he would worship Jesus. There is a group of people in the church today that are enlightened to see what Jesus is doing and what the Holy Spirit is doing here on this world and what God intends to do in the world and in His church. And there is a group of people in the church that has a heart and a desire and a concern for the generation behind us. Thank God for those people in the church. If you'll turn around and look tonight in our church here, Super Bowl Sunday, there is hardly any of that generation here. We have got to become enlightened about that generation. Secondly, there is a second group of people in covenant with the Lord that is at the, uh, the point of dying. That generation that the ones that are enlightened about and concerned about is on their deathbed. They're at the point of death. The generation that's coming in behind us right now, unless the church does something to reach this generation, they are going to die. In fact, many have already said they're unreachable. Thirdly, there is a group of people in the church that are in the church and they are in covenant with God but they have issues. The Bible puts it that this woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. Isn't it amazing to stop and think in your eyes that there are churches across this great land that has been sick longer than some of the generation behind them has been alive. Churches today are losing slowly the issues of life. The Bible tells us that life is in the blood. So when you see this woman who is bleeding, having a bleeding flux, a bleeding flow on a daily basis, 
it is telling you there is a group in the church in covenant with God that is sick spiritually and they are losing their life on a daily basis. And because they are losing their life, they're on the search because, look, the heart is, those people that are losing it, they still have a heart to want to be healed. They still have a heart to want to be reached. They still have a heart to want to come out of what they fell into. Would you agree with me and say amen? And they are looking for an answer. There's a lot of people looking for an answer. Instead of looking to the right answer, they run to the doctor. Instead of going to the right answer and reading the Bible to share with us what we need to do on a daily basis to quit oozing out and losing the life of the Holy Spirit in our life, we run to the psychiatrist or we read self-help books to try to help us. The truth of the matter is there is three crowds in the church. There's a crowd in the church that is enlightened, that has a desire to reach the, not only the lost, but the generation that is behind them. They realize that something is wrong in that generation. How many of you here tonight would say it is the truth that something is badly wrong with the generation that's coming up right now? Am I talking to anybody tonight? Everybody going to be quiet? If you agree with me, say amen. Amen. You are enlightened then. You are the enlightened ones. You are the ones that have been given a revelation from God. And God is wanting you to take that enlightenment and put your concern on the generation behind you. I mean, also agree with me that there's a church in the, uh, there's a crowd in the church that's under covenant with God and they are extremely sick. They have spent everything they have within themselves to try to get well. Churches are sick. They're not growing. So what do they do? They read the purpose-driven church and they say, oh, that'll work for me. And they come in and they take the lights and dim them down and they put up all this media equipment, have a light show where the people think when they walk into the church that they're walking into a nightclub and they play this music and have people jump up and down and it's all a hype. There's no anointing in it. But it draws a crowd. And as long as it draws a crowd and people come to it, they think everything's all right. But the truth of the matter is, if you take a spiritual gauge of the people that's there, they are standing there jumping up and down and praising a God they never pray to. They're praising a God they never pick the Bible up and read His Word. The church is sick, and we've been searching for answers. And there's going to come a time in the church that the church realizes that there is no other answer but Jesus. There's no other answer but Jesus. And we have dumbed down doctrine. We have took doctrine and made doctrine to the point where it's palatable to people's taste. You never hear anyone in the church really preach much about hell. You never hear anyone calling out sin and never hear anyone prophesying to people exactly how Jesus used to prophesy them and call them generations of snakes and vipers and foxes. You don't hear none of that because we don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. The church is sick. But as I shared with you this morning, those people that are sick in the church still have a story. And God wants you to finish your story. Amen? Everybody's so quiet, so I'll just talk to the walls tonight. Amen. 
And when Jesus, verse 21, was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the ship. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. What did he do? First off, his eyes was open, and he saw Jesus. You see, when you're enlightened, your eyes are open. And you see what Jesus is doing. And these little things, little petty issues that's in the church doesn't bother you anymore because your desire is, I want to see Jesus. We have took now over right at a year studying on Sunday morning of a book entitled, We Would See Jesus. In everything that we do, we should be seeing Jesus. The enlightened ones has got to see Jesus. Amen. I'll preach it myself. Amen. Secondly, once you see Jesus, you can't help but to, in humble adoration and in humbleness, fall down at his feet and worship him. In the church, this group of folks that are enlightened, that has the revelation, are going to be the leaders in the church to usher true worship back into the church, to bring vision back into church. If you have agreed with me on my statements up to this point, you are a part of that crowd that is enlightened. And if you are enlightened and you have a revelation, God wants you to have your eyes open so you can see Jesus in everything. And when you see Jesus in everything, you can't help but to fall down and worship Him. God wants you to be the one to usher the worship of the kingdom back into the house of God. Amen? Said there come Him, and He fell down at His feet, and He besought Him greatly, verse 23, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. This is a prophetic picture of today. Jairus, the enlightened one, prayed to the Son of the living God about the generation that was coming behind him. And he acknowledged the fact that he saw that they were at the point of death. Notice now, they were not dead yet, but they were at the point of death. It is sad that even though we are enlightened and we have a revelation, that we must wait until we really truly see everything in our life right at the point of death before we go and worship Jesus Christ and pray to Him to make it different. But that's what happens in life. That's people's uh, more turpitude. That's what they do. That's their mindset that they're going to try to handle it all themselves. As Sister Janice spoke this morning, about us trying to be divine instead of the branch. We want to be able to fix everything, and the last thing in life that we try is Jesus. At the foot of the cross is at man's lowest point. And man, sadly, will have to hit the lowest point in his life to ever recognize the cross. And if you in any way are keeping someone from hitting the lowest point in their life, then you are literally fighting against the very Holy Spirit that's trying to draw that individual. Amen. I'm going to preach it anyway. Amen. And verse 23 said, He besought him greatly. I want you to look at your neighbor tonight and say, you got to start praying a lot more than you are. 
For the last two Monday nights, we have been on a conference call and we have had five people show up. Five people show up for prayer. It's been announced in the church. We made it as easy as possible for everybody. We've given you a 1-800 number, a passcode to go in, and say if you've got problems in your life, get on this phone call at 7 o'clock and we're going to pray you through. Five people on Monday night was on the call, and five people on the Monday night prior was on the phone call. Church, we got to do better than that. We got to start beseeching Jesus greatly. We have got to beseech God greatly, not only for those in the church that are sick, but those that are enlightened, and also for those in the church that are losing their life's blood on a daily basis. I thank God that God is speaking to me through this to show me what the church is saying. Notice what he said about his daughter. He said she is lying at the point of death. This generation behind us, they're not dead yet, but there's a lot of people saying they are. But they are lying at the point of death. Now let me explain something to you. You ain't going to like it, but I'm going to tell you the truth. There's a lot of people in the church that's at the point of death. This woman that represents the church in this had been bleeding with a bloody fox for 12 years. She had went to every doctor and the doctor took all of her money and told her, there's nothing I can do for you. What does that mean in this day's hour? When the doctor looks at you and says, there's nothing I can do for you, what is he telling you? You're going to die. You're at the point of death. So Jairus now sees that his daughter is at the point of death and God shows us the woman that is representing the church that is sick, oozing out and losing the eternal life. Their, their, bloody, their, their bloody flux is going out of them and they lose in life on a daily basis and he's telling us they're both at the point of death. Jairus was one that was enlightened and had the revelation and he realized I got to do something about this. Now, I want to submit to you if Jairus would have never went to Jesus, if he'd have never went and asked Jesus, Jesus would have never showed up on the street that that woman lived on. So it was Jairus, the enlightened one, that was bound up and concerned about the generation behind him that went to Jesus and started praying for Jesus to save the generation behind him, to heal the generation behind him. And because of that, he brought Jesus by the way of the sick and dying church. And the sick and dying church, there was somebody in there that still had a heart that they wanted to be healed and they wanted to experience a life without being sick, losing their life's blood. So, if you are a Jairus, you're the key. I want you to look at your neighbor, smile at them, show them as much love as you can, show them your pearly whites and say, you are the key right now. If you have agreed with me up to this point, then God has put it in you and He's talking to you right now and you are the key. In fact, your name in the Spirit is Jairus. Means you are enlightened and you are having a revelation from the Lord and that you know you must pray more than you've ever prayed and you must know that you have got to worship more than you've ever worshipped before in your life. Oh, am I preaching pretty well? Amen. I'm teaching tonight. I want you to understand what God is saying. He said, He besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray thee, 
Come to my house. Come to my house. Come to my house. This Tuesday is when we're going to have our prayer service on the online and the thing we're going to be praying about on that service and I hadn't taken it over. I'm just going to follow the leadership of the Lord is that we're going to pray for Jesus to start coming back to the house. We need Jesus in Living Water Worship Center. We need more Jesus in your life. Every problem you got in your life, every prayer that you need an answer to is going to be answered in one way and that is you need more Jesus. So we're going to start praying that you need, that you're going to get more Jesus in your life. You're going to get more Jesus in your finances. You're going to get more Jesus in your family. And we're going to get more of Jesus in our life. We're going to pray that Jesus decides that he's going to come to our church. Amen. We need him in living water. Amen. He said, come in my house and lay your hands on her. We got to start praying for this generation that's behind us and pray that the Lord will go to those houses of God that are enlightened and lay his hand on them so that they can literally go out and change that generation that everybody says is dead right now. Look around tonight. It looks like we lost them. But there will be people tonight at the Super Bowl that paid $56,000 to sit on the 50-yard line. To watch a bunch of men, grown men at that, throw the ball in the air and hit each other. How stupid is that? I like football too, but when you really look at it, it's stupid. People this night will pay millions of dollars to be able in 15 seconds to tell you what they can sell you. They'll pay millions of dollars to do that. Why? Because the generation is going to it. You better believe if the church wants to get powerful and have people want to pay the church some money to get their message into the church, then we need Jesus back in the house of God. Amen. So we need to start praying for Jesus to come back in the house and not only come in the house, but lay his hands on that generation. Because Jesus needs to lay his hand on that generation. But notice this. The woman with the bloody flux reached out to touch Jesus. Jesus needs to touch that generation, but Jairus' generation and the generation that is sick in the church that's dying and losing their lifeblood, they need to learn how to let's touch Jesus one more time. Oh, am I preaching all right? Amen. So Jesus, we need to pray that Jesus will touch that other generation. But we need to also pray in the church that the church can learn how to touch Jesus one more time. We need to have enough of faith to know that if I can just touch Jesus, all the loose ends in my life will come to conclusion. All the frayed edges in my life are straightened out. If I can just touch him one more time, you see, you are in a covenant with the Lord. And the reason why you're in a covenant with the Lord is somewhere along in your life, God has laid his hand on your life. And because of that, now you've got to learn to grab a hold of him. You've got to learn how to touch him. And we got to start touching Jesus in this house. We can't walk in this house and have all kinds of conversations. We need to come in with Jesus on our mind. Amen. We need to come in and say, it ain't about me. It's not about what's going on in my family. It's not about what I think needs to be going on in the church. It's about the, the fact that Jesus needs to show up in our house and we need to touch him. 
because we need to be in the area where we touch him and we can be prepared to meet what he's fixing to do when he lays his hands on the generation out there. I don't know about you, but I don't know if anyone in here is prepared to deal with a crack addict. I don't know if anybody here is is prepared to deal with a heroin addict. If you think a few people in this church lie, steal, and connive, boy, you get one of them in here, and you better realize they're going to rob you blind unless God touches them. Amen? So everybody will say we need Jesus in the house. So Tuesday, we're going to pray that Jesus would come to live in water. We're going to open up an open calendar to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're free to walk in the door at any time. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear me, let him open the door, and I will come into him. And I'll sit down with him, and I'll sup with him. God is calling us to open up the door and allow him to come in our life. If we'll do that, we'll change this atmosphere. Notice what happens. He said, When you come in, you lay your hands on her. I got the faith to believe that she'll be healed. How many of you here to know right now that if God touches that generation out there that's behind us, that that generation is going to be healed? That there's going to be a revival like you ain't never seen before in your life. Amen. And not only are they going to be healed of their problems, they're going to be able to live. So how many believe that right now what the generation behind us needs is a touch from our Almighty Father, our God that can literally change everything. Amen. And notice, after the ones that were enlightened, after they prayed, they besought him, they worshipped him, they had a revelation, and they asked Jesus to come. Notice what Jesus did in the next verse. It said Jesus went with him. You see, when you start calling out for Jesus to show up, Jesus is going to come with you. Amen. And notice this. Look at that verse. Look at verse number 24. When Jesus shows up, a whole lot of people is going to follow him. The reason why the church Thelma ain't growing is because Jesus ain't showing up like we need him to. And the minute he starts showing up in this house and other houses, people are going to come. You see, the people are going to a lot of houses that the Antichrist is showing up in. But let's get Jesus back in the house and let's get the people that are following Jesus in the house of God. Amen. And the Bible says, not only did they come with him and follow him, they thronged him. That means they pressed all up against him. I don't know about you, but I have come in part of my life. I want to get as close to Jesus as I possibly can. I said, I want to get as close to Jesus as I possibly can. Oh, and I'll tell you it again. I want to get as close to Jesus as I possibly can. If I bump against him, praise the Lord. If I brush his garment, praise the Lord. But one thing that I really want to be able to do is I want to be able to touch him and get his attention. It said, and a certain woman which had an issue of blood, she was with that crowd that's sick 12 years. Darlene said something today and I was going to mention it tonight. The little girl was 12 years old. The woman was sick for 12 years. 12 plus 12 equals what? What? And what year are we in? See, the Holy Spirit's already confirmed that, hey, this is the year I want to do this. Certain woman had an issue of blood 12 years, and she suffered many things, many positions, and she spent all that she had, and she was nothing better 
and was growing worse. I want to tell you, those people that are sick, they have been hungry for an answer. They've went out trying to find the answer. They went everywhere they can. When they really only really need to touch Jesus, they have went out and the world has taken advantage of them. Everything they've tried has literally destroyed them in their life and they're not getting any better. It's getting worse in the church right now. How many of you would agree with me on that? Would you say amen? Amen then you are a Jairus. You are seeing what is going on not only in the world, but in the church. But listen what it said there. She heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. You see, we got to start getting Jesus back preached from the pulpit. We got to get Jesus back in our family. We got to get Jesus back in our town. We got to start telling these sick people that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Jesus can still heal all of the issues that there is in your life. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how bad you hurt from a divorce. I don't care how bad you hurt in your family. I don't care what your family's done to you. I don't care what the church has done for you. I don't care what the devil's tried to do in your life. God's still got enough of power to take every issue you got in your life when you touch him one time and straighten it all out. We need to quit putting our faith and trust in the dollar bill, putting our faith and trust in a doctor, putting our faith and trust in a prophet. Let's put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it said when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, she touched his garment, and he said, she said, if I can touch him, even his clothes, I'll be whole. And as she touched him straightway, everybody I'll say immediately, I am expecting, like Sister Thelma said, I'm expecting a 180 degree turnaround just like that at the snap of my finger. In fact, I believe it's already started. Amen. The Bible says that at that point in time, immediately that issue that she had in her life dried up. How many of you just literally love to have every issue that you got in your life dried up by the power of God right now? Then you got to learn how to touch Jesus. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, you got to touch Jesus. You better start learning how to touch Jesus. We have been standing in this church telling you how to touch Jesus. Aunt Janice stayed here this morning telling you, this is how you touch Jesus. This is how you touch Jesus. I preach to you and I preach to our blue in the face. This is how you touch Jesus. You want every issue in your life straight now, touch Jesus one time. He's already touched you. Now he wants to see you reciprocate the action. And when he does, all your issues are going to be straightened out. That means we're going to have people delivered from financial trouble this year. Amen. We're going to have people delivered from sexual addiction, addiction this year. Would you say amen? We're going to have people delivered from self-centeredism this year. Would you say amen? We're going to have people's mind and focus and attitude turned back to Jesus. And we're going to have Jesus back in the house. Oh boy, I feel like preaching just a few minutes. Everybody say amen. Amen. Verse 35. But while he spake, this is after he talked and healed the woman, while he spake, there come from the ruler of the synagogue's house. Certain that said, your daughter is dead. Everybody look at me. There's going to be people in your family that's going to believe you flat out crazy. They're going to feel like you have lost your mind. There's a bunch of doomsayers, naysayers to say, why in the world are you still going to that church out yonder? Why in the world do you still think that Jesus is going to look down this little town in Blamer, North Carolina with 1,200 people and do something mighty? 
They come to them. There's going to be a bunch of people going to tell you, say, hey, look, you don't need to go out there and mess with them people. Give up on them. They ain't no help for them. They ain't no help for them. They're already too far gone. They've literally spotted their life with alcohol. They're out there wrapped all up in sex and sin. They're out there and they're hooked on heroin. They're hooked on fentanyl. We can't do nothing for them. But let me share with you what happens as you look at this verse. It said, they come to him and said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the master any further. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to trouble the master. Mm, say it again. Say, it's time to trouble the master. It's time for us to start troubling the master about our children and our grandchildren. It's time for us to trouble the master about the people that are sick in the house of God. It's time to trouble the master about the world and how God wants to move in their life and how they're at the point of death. It's time for us to trouble the master because if we don't start stirring up God, then God ain't going to get stirred up. Y'all with me? Amen. Your daughter's dead. There's going to be a crowd that says, hey, everything you're trying to do, it ain't going to work. It's dead. It ain't going to happen. Why don't you just give up? Look at verse 36. And as soon as Jesus heard that word that was spoken, he said unto Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Turn to your neighbor right beside him and say, stop being so scared. Stop worrying so much. (laughs) Only believe. Only thing God is going to ask for you to do right now is still believe. God, if He's ever spoke it, He's going to do it. God, if He's ever told you any one thing, it's going to happen. And if God has said it, it's going to happen. Don't matter if you believe it or not. But if you really truly believe in it, then you can live your life at peace. I still know God is going to touch the living water worship center. I still know that there's going to be healings right here in this house. I still know that there's going to be young people that walks in this house and give their heart to God. I still know that we're going to get people that are sick and hard at their heart in the house of God. We're going to get them to the point where they can touch Jesus and every issue in their life, every freight edge in their life immediately is going to be straight. I preach on it now going on for about 17 years. My God is telling me it's about time for it to come to fruition and to come to pass in your life. And I believe that the year 2024 is the year that it's going to happen. I wonder how many I can get to agree with me on that. He said, only believe. Now look at verse number 37. It's very important. He said, he suffered no man to follow him. Except Peter, the apostle. James, the prophet. And John, the evangelist. So he took three with him, Jesus, the inner circle. And then he went to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And look what he saw. He saw the turmoil. And he saw them weeping and wailing greatly. You see, if you walk into this generation that's out there today, I'm telling you, I'm out there every day. I'm walking in it. I see it. You walk up to him. My phone's rung off the hook all week long from one member of that generation that is homeless, that nobody's trying to help, that he is literally has no other place to go, and he's trying to get help in his life, but he's trying to manipulate people to get that help. And sometimes in your life, if you keep propping them up in that situation, you're doing worse to them than you are to help them. And I see it on a daily basis. And the more you talk to them, you realize they are in disarray. There's turmoil going on. That word toy, turmoil means there's a bunch of noise going on around them. 
And they're brokenhearted. They're weeping in their life. And they are wailing greatly. All you got to do is sit down and talk to them and you can hear the pain in their voice. Am I talking to anybody, church? And look what it says there. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why are you making this ado? And why are you weeping? The damsel is not, damsel is not dead. She's asleep. Now, just previously we just found out she's dead. Everybody holler out and say, she's dead. You know, where she has a form of godliness, but she didn't have no power of godliness. She had a body, but she didn't have no spirit. The generation had a form of godliness. They're out there searching for it. The reason why so many of them are hooked on fentanyl, they're searching for Jesus. They're experienced and want to experience the most high that they can possibly experience in life. My God said, I am the most high. If you take one little toke off of me, then you'll never have to take another toke of another any psycholeg, psych, I can't even talk tonight, any drug whatsoever in your life. I will keep you high the rest of your life. They're hungry. They're seeking for that. They are hurting and they are wailing greatly. All you got to do is sit down and talk with them. But he said, and when they come in, he said, why are you making all this ado? Why are you saying this about this girl? This girl is just asleep. I want you to look at your neighbor here tonight and say, the generation behind us is not dead. They just asleep. How many of you here is hard to get to wake up? Brianna says she's hard to get to wake up. What do you have to do to wake you up? Right now, probably all Jacob has to do is just make a little sound and you pop up now, right? But before then, what did I have to do to get you woke up? About 50 times to get right. up. Where you had to shake them. And... How many of you ever, ever had problems waking up? My daddy changed it with me long before in my life. He said, he come in, he called you. He said, if I come back and I call you twice, you're in trouble. So when he comes to the door, he'd crack the door open a little bit and said, son, up, put the door. And I'd roll back, okay, and I'd roll back over, and I'd, be, and I'd be dead right deep in sleep, and I'd hear them footprints coming down the hall. <laughs> and I'd be popping up, he'd open up the door, and I'd be sitting up on the edge, but I'm up, daddy, I'm up. But there are some people, it takes a lot to wake up, don't it? Yeah. Yeah. Kira, you ever had a problem getting woke up? What did they have to do to get you out of the bed? Anybody ever had water thrown on them to get them out of the bed? Amen. Yeah. We used to put a pot over a cowbell clock for normal. And hit the thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> she slept right through it. How many has ever slept through a telephone call? How many's had the telephone right beside of you and you slept right on through it? How many's took some type of outside stimuli and it put you to sleep and it didn't matter how many people tried to get it with you, you didn't wake up? I remember I went to the doctor 
And I told the doctor, I said, man, you got to do something to help me. I'm, I'm going in my eighth day, and I've probably slept about three hours. I am so tired, you're going to have to help me. He said, I'll take care of you. I'll give you a pill. I went and I got that pill, and I took that pill about 11 o'clock that night. And when I went to sleep, the next thing I know, they were beating my window at the house, and the rescue squad was on the outside. And I looked at the clock, and it was 3.15 in the afternoon. My telephone had 37 telephone calls on it. My next-door neighbors had come to the house and knocked on the door trying to get me over and I made up my mind right then I'm never taking another one of them pills because if the burger alarm or the smoke alarm went off in my house I'd have laid there and burnt right on up because I would have never woke up that's exactly how the world is now we got to wake them up everybody holler out and say that group is asleep they're not dead they're asleep amen you see, and there's going to be people out there that's going to laugh you to scorn. Verse number 40 said, they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother, the pastor and the teacher. Remember I told you, you are a teacher to the one behind you. And he went in the sight of them, and there with him, and he entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and he said unto her, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Notice what I'm saying here. What he done is he got rid of all the naysayers. God is about to do something in this house and get rid of all the naysayers. Every time that we want to try to do something, God is so well, it ain't never worked before. Why won't it start it now? Why won't it do that again? It didn't work. God is going to get rid of everybody of unbelief, and He's going. To, and I'm saying He's getting rid of the unbelief, not them. He's going to cause them to have faith in Him because He's going to bring the fivefold ministry to that generation, and He's going to use that generation to bless that, bless this church, and wake this church up. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 32, 42. It says, "Straightway that damsel rose up and walked. Rose up and walked. She was twelve years old." Verse 43 said, And he charged him straightly that no man should know it and commanded him to give him something to eat. I want to share with you, this is the story of what's going on in the church right now. God is preparing a revival for the world. The harvest that you are about to see in the house of God is going to be the greatest harvest that you have ever witnessed in your life or in history. This is going to be the greatest revival you've ever seen. The Azusa Street Revival is going to be a drop in the bucket to what God is fixing to do. God is going into the crack bins and the fentanyl bins, and he's going into the third world countries, and he is starting to change that. I want to share with you, there are churches right now in Nairobi. I can't even call it. Where's Nairobi at? I can't even believe Libya. No, that ain't Libya. Where's it at? Kenya and Nairobi in Kenya and they meet and they have 3 million people going to their church on a daily basis and they have 11 services a day. God's already doing something over there. Why can't we have it in North Carolina? God's already doing something over in England. God's already doing something in Australia. God's already doing something over in the third world countries and in Haiti. And they don't have nothing like we've got over here. And now the church needs to be awakened to the fact that he's getting ready out in the world to bring a revival. But his church has got to be healed. And his church has got to be revived. And his church has got to be able to touch Jesus one more time. So... I want to challenge you this week to pray for Jesus to come in this house. I want you to pray for Jesus to come in and change the atmosphere in your life. I want you to pray 
that immediately all the loose ends of all those people that are sick and all the issues that they have in their life, that it immediately will be turned 180 degrees around and then they will find and experience the power of Almighty God in their life. I don't know about you, but I am excited to know what God through the power of the Holy Ghost is about to do. Would you say amen? I am excited to know that it's right at the point where God is going to do what he's been preaching for 17 years in this house. I'm excited to know that what you see in this house right now is just a drop in a bucket of what God is going to do. God is going to bring more in this house than you can handle. And he's going to start first off by handling the issue here in this church. And when he handles all the issues in the church, he's going to heal us. And the enlightened ones then can go out and reach the world. Don't you want to be a part of God's revival? Would you say amen? amen? How many of you has got something out of this here tonight and you're seeing God and the Holy Spirit as they are revealing to you what God is fixing to do right now? Amen. That means God has called you. I want you to stand to your feet, look at your neighbor and say, Hey, Jairus, how you doing? You are enlightened. You have a revelation. You have a concern for that generation behind you. And now you have got to start praying to him even more than ever. And you've got to have a worshipful mind and give it all up to him. Invite him into your house. If you'll invite him, he says, you open up the door, I'll come in, sit down, and I'll sit with you. This has been a powerful Sunday, whether we've been jumping around, running to the altar, whether 50 people got saved or not. This is God speaking to us saying, this is where you're at. I know this is where you're at. It's all right. I'm coming and I'm handling the issues. It ain't up to Kier to handle the issues. Thelma ain't going to be able to handle the issues. It's Jesus showing back up in the house that's going to handle all the issues. Amen. And I am looking for the day. That I pastor a church without any issues in our life. Amen. Amen. Brother Kerry.